have something I wanted to talk about from the Sermon on the Mount, but I actually briefly wanted to um, discuss something that I don't remember if I ever, I don't remember what the latest thing that was communicated to the church about was, and this is from years ago, but years ago, after jail, before, or I'm not using the names of my children because we're online, after child number one, before child number two, um, that we, there was a period of time where we thought we were pregnant again. And at that time, then, I don't remember how long, it was, had probably been a couple of weeks, a couple of months, that we thought we had, we had, um, thought we were pregnant, and, and then, Bethany started bleeding, and stuff was happening, and it seemed like we were having a miscarriage. And at the time, we were completely convinced that we were pregnant, and we were completely convinced that the baby was in trouble. Um, long story short, after that process concluded, we ended up going to a, well, I guess through, while we were going through that process, we went to the, to the, what do you call those? Oh, there was the blood test, but there was like the, the camera, they do like the ultrasound went to the ultrasound lab or whatever it was. And they said when they did the ultrasound that there was there was no baby in her womb at that time. They said in the in the if there had been a positive pregnancy test, then they concluded that meant that we had lost the baby, but they couldn't find anything saying that there even had been a baby there. And from the blood test there wasn't a lot of the a human human growth hormone, I think that normally is there in, a, in someone who's actually pregnant. And so, long story short, we went through that entire ride, and for us, from where we were at, from what we could see, we had a miscarriage at that time. That's, that is how it felt. That is what we experienced. And then after we went through that whole experience and came to the end, we were left kind of looking back on it all thinking, okay, wait, Right. Did we, did we overreact? Did we assume that she was actually pregnant when it was just one of those body hormonal things after having a, her first child? And um, because I remember the pregnancy tests weren't—they weren't like strong positives, but we were just convinced. From I mean, I was convinced from the way she was acting and so on, but that could have just been postpartum things. So. I, I say all that just because I remember at the time there were people that were like praying for us and so on as we were going through it because we all thought we were having a miscarriage. And so I say it, number one, just in the interest of truth and, and straightforwardness, but also because for us that turned into a testimony, even though maybe it, it came about by our own just silliness or whatever you want to say, it turned into a testimony of what, from, from where we can see, God gave us the experience of having a miscarriage and then gave us that child back in our second, in our second born. So, for me, it's just a testimony to the mercy of God, to His, his goodness and His inscrutable wisdom and the way that He chooses to do things. Because we went through all of that emotional burden at the time. 
It was as, as I mean, we were, as, we were convinced. It was real. I remember, I remember crying. I was fasting. I mean, it was, it was real to me. But then in retrospect, it's like, okay, so the Lord gave us, gave us that child back from an emotional standpoint, from, you know, from our, our, our little human perspective. That was the experience that we went through. So saying that both in the interest of just full disclosure and also just as testimony to God and his inscrutable wisdom, the way he works, um, so anyway, that, there's that. Um, so praise the Lord, another one on the way, and, and God is good in, his, in the way he leads us along and, and teaches us and grows us in his goodness and in his mercy. I wanted to look at Matthew chapter 6 this morning. We talk a lot about living by faith and... I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes it's a struggle to actually see living by faith in the words of Jesus, because Jesus does a lot of talking about keeping the commandments, and a lot of talking about living righteously and obeying the Father. In Matthew chapter 6, we have a really good example, a really good picture of Jesus, who's really teaching us what it looks like to live by faith. Chapter 5, he drives down to the heart. He starts off with the Beatitudes. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, he's got the Beatitudes. He goes through, he talks about you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and let your light shine, let men see your good works. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he moves into the personal relationships. If you've hated you're guilty of murder. If you've lusted, you're guilty of adultery. Make no oath at all. Do not resist an evil person. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus drives down to the heart and says, this is really a heart issue. If you're still just concerned about the hands, then you're at the scribes and Pharisees level. You're a hypocrite. You're just keeping the commandments externally, but your heart is far from me. And that is not enough. That is not satisfying to God. So Jesus drives down to the heart, and then we move into chapter 6. Chapter 5 ends, Therefore you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what is Jesus saying? If you're good enough, you can get into heaven? Well, I mean, I guess, if you could actually be as perfect as God, then yeah, you could get into heaven. But obviously, Jesus is not saying, you can do it, guys. You know, in your own strength, in your own works, you can do it. You can be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Clearly, that is not the case. But he ends with that call to perfection, reflective perfection, reflecting the perfection of the Father. And then he moves into chapter 6. And chapter 6, if you are one who writes in your Bible, when you're going through the Sermon on the Mount, I would encourage you to circle or underline or highlight whatever you want to use Whenever Jesus mentions reward, or specifically eternal reward, reward that's tied to your Father in heaven, because that is one of his themes throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? You are practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So what is Jesus' emphasis? His emphasis is, 
we are supposed to be living with hearts that are focused on a reward that is not to be experienced in this life. It is not to be enjoyed in this world, at least not primarily. It, it, is, it is enjoyed, but it's enjoyed primarily by faith. Your Father who sees in secret, He will repay you. And yeah, He will reward us in this life as well. But the primary reward is one that we look to by faith. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's what it means to live by faith. How many of you are familiar with the Latin phrase, Coram Deo? It means before the face of God. So living Coram Deo means living with a self-conscious realization that I'm in the presence of God. I am walking before the face of God. My Father is watching. He's with me. And that should be our motivation, that that is a faith motivation. So Jesus is giving us a bunch of practical steps of obedience, but what is he driving at? He's driving at our hearts. Our hearts should be coming from a perspective of faith. I am living for an eternal reward. I'm living, I'm laying up treasures in heaven. That faith then manifests in practical actions. So the question is, are we living with a heavenward focus? That faith is difficult, difficult business. And ultimately it's something that has to come from God. Our faith is a gift from God. But, that's essential to Christian life. It's essential to true and unhypocritical obedience to the Lord. That kind of faith leads to motivation in our daily lives. So how do we make that? How does that touch the earth? How does that get practical? When you are mad at person X, or you are discontent about situation X, or you're feeling grouchy about, maybe you're just feeling grouchy, maybe you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, whatever the case may be, how does that Coram Deo reality play into your life? We're called to become masters at fighting to see the Father, fighting to see the eternal reward. That's what enables you to respond rightly to all the temptations and the trials that are around us. If I'm tired and grumpy, nope, that's a microphone, sorry, everybody online. If I'm tired and grumpy, and my wife is tired and grumpy, Neither one of us at that point feel like working out our conflicts, right? At that point, we both feel like demanding our rights and putting on the gloves and establishing, you know, winning the fight, so to speak. That's just the natural propensity of a sinful heart. I'm tired, I'm grumpy, I, I, can't, I can't do this right now. How does Coram Deo play into that? Coram Deo says... In my strength, I can't do this right now, but I don't, I'm not called to live by my strength. So I'm praying and trusting in Christ, and I'm living for an eternal reward, and even though it all feels so lame and miserable and difficult right now, I'm going to keep walking by obedience, Lord Jesus, because I want eternal rewards. I'm storing up treasures in heaven. If it, you know, that, that's your spouse, but that's your sibling, that's your parent, that's your co-worker, that's interpersonal relationships. Maybe it's a question of honesty. If I tell the truth here... Or if I confront this issue, if I walk in the light in this area, there's going to be a lot of ramifications that are difficult and painful. That's the right here, right now. But because of faith, because I'm walking before the Lord, I'm living for something beyond right now. And that is the motivation that's driving my heart. Maybe it's your work. 
I do not feel like working hard right now. I feel like, you know, I'm, t- I'm tired. I don't want to, I don't want to bring my A game. I want to just kind of coast through my work day or coast through my chores or whatever the, the case may be. And scripture says, whatever your hands finds to do, do it with all your heart. I think I'm combining two verses, but you get the idea because both of those are in scripture. Do it unto the Lord. Work hard. So what's, how does Corondale play in? God is watching. He's given me this task to do. Lord, I don't feel the strength to work hard right now. Please give me the strength and I'm going to go at it best I can. But that's faith. That's coming from a heart of faith. God is with me. God is watching me. He's answering my prayers. He will strengthen me. He will help me. He will uphold me by his righteous right hand. So I claim that promise and I keep on plugging. And you're trusting in the grace of God. So where, how, do you, how do you turn that into legalism? How do you miss Jesus' point? You miss Jesus' point if you're thinking the other way around. Well, I'm supposed to work hard or else God won't love me. I'm supposed to... I'll give you a personal example. I struggle with germophobia. I don't know how many of you know that. Some of you might be surprised by that. But I struggle with germophobia and obsessive compulsiveness. I don't know what... I'm not... I've never been clinically diagnosed, and I'm, I'm a long way from Adrian Monk. I don't, you know, I'm not that far down that road, but, but I could be. I totally could be. And it is part of my sanctification and the grace of God working in my life that keeps me from that. Because without Christ, I could easily be Adrian Monk. I can keep track of dirty stuff for a long time. I can remember what touched what and how I need to wash my hands because I touched this thing and this thing touched that thing and that thing touched that thing and that thing has chemicals on it. I can do that. Should I do that? That's the question. Maybe. Maybe. There are some things where, yeah, you need to wash your hands, bud. That was, that's gross. However, for me, living Coram Deo means I trust God and not my ability to wash my hands. I trust God, if God wants me to be at X event, then he'll keep me healthy. And if he doesn't want me to be at X event, then guess what? Me washing my hands after filling up the gas, you know, at the gas station is not going to be the, the operative factor that makes sure I can get there. God is sovereign, so living Coram Deo means I'm not living in fear of germs. I'm not being a hypochondriac. I'm not checking and double checking and triple checking my work. Because I'm living by faith. Okay, now what's the difference? How do you turn that into legalism? You turn it into legalism when it's, okay, you know what? I just double-checked that thing. I really shouldn't have double-checked that thing. And now God's probably mad at me. And he's going to make the next thing that I do is going to fail. Because I double-checked this thing. And so now I I messed it up. And basically there's like going to be, I threw off the scales. Now I'm on the unrighteous side. And God's going to whack me so that I can get back on the righteous side again. Okay, that's legalism. That's not, that's not a biblical thought process. Because guess what? You, you think you just got on the unrighteous side of the scale because you acted without faith in that one instance? Then you vastly misunderstand sin. You've been hanging out on that side of the scale since birth. Yeah. And it hasn't been a little bit. It's been majorly. The only thing that keeps you in the grace of God is the grace of God. Not your ability to obey all the right things by faith. That's not really obedience by faith. 
that, that then your faith is in your own works. You can have peace. As you fight sin, you fight sin like a victor because Christ is the victor. And he shares his victory with us. You can live for eternal rewards because those rewards are secured for you by Christ. Not because, if you're good enough, you will attain to those rewards. Faith in the righteousness that Christ has given us and the rewards that are ours in Him motivates us to happy obedience. It does not put us in a burden under a weight of, if I check all the boxes, maybe I'll get the reward that God has for me. That's not how it works. Now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't give us a license to sin. Scripture makes clear, number one, if you're sinning and you don't have a problem with that, you're probably not saved and you don't have any reward coming. You have judgment coming. If you're cool with sin, that's a problem. And you should be questioning your salvation at that point. And number two, if you're not really cool with sin, but at the same time you're living in habitual sin, God as a loving Father is not going to leave you alone. He's going to chasten you. There are consequences. We are still called to live in fear of God, just like a child with a loving Father has a fear of that loving Father. I know Daddy loves me, and I also know if I back talk to Mommy... Daddy's going to take me out to the woodshed. That's not because Daddy hates me and he's just, just this angry ogre, but there are, he loves me enough to give me consequences when I walk in rebellion. So we can't lose sight of those two things. We don't rest so much in the grace of God that we pervert the grace of God into an excuse for sin. But given that, we can obey freely and by faith and with great joy looking to a reward that is already secured for us in the death and resurrection of our Savior. Not trying to earn the favor of God in some sort of superstitious exchange where if I do it right, then I'll get, I'll get the rewards. God's not, he's not a, a vending machine. He's not a genie. He's not, he's not like, um, the, well, I mean, superstition is the best example because you see that all over. It's knock on wood. Okay. Because that, that right there, that just like atoned for the thing that I said because I knocked on the wood and so now the thing that I said doesn't control me anymore. Sometimes we're that way with God. Like, okay, I, Lord, I washed my hands. I shouldn't have washed my hands. That was not from faith. So now, looking around the corner, and now, I'm, now I'm definitely going to get sick before the big event because I shouldn't have washed my hands. That wasn't from faith. So, yep, I'm going to get sick. I'm not going to get to go. <laughs> because, because that's the way this all works. It's just like this even exchange. If it was an even exchange, I'd be in hell. It's not an even exchange. I'm covered by the blood. But don't wash your hands next time, Gabe. I mean, you know what I mean. Wash your hands if you should wash your hands. But don't be a hypochondriac. By faith. But do it with joy. You're covered by the blood. And you can fight sin as a victor, looking toward the reward, laying up the treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. And when that is ringing out in our hearts, we're ready to fight sin. We're ready to take a stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil because I've got my eyes on something so far beyond anything this world has to offer that those temptations, like, what? You're, you're going to offer me a, a platter of garbage? I've got my eyes on a feast. That, that's lost its appeal to me. So living by faith is not something that Paul made up. That's something that was there all along, and it's right here in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus calls us to trust our Father and to live for the rewards that He has in store for us.